You know, as I've just been sort of um, spending some time looking at Christ in us, the hope of glory, what's becoming more and more crystallized is the ability to hear of the Spirit and not just listen to words and take notes of words, but to truly hear the eternal word that's being communicated. That's the key. And, and I really, you know, I can't wait to uh, just talk about the, the, the ability to hear and how we hear um, because it is the difference between life being built and no life. You know, we can have journals and it's great to take notes. I'm not saying don't take notes, but it's not about taking the notes. If you make it about note-taking, you'll miss. It's about seeing what he's saying and hearing what he's saying. And, um, you know, tonight I'm just going to start um, out of Revelation. So we're going to talk about covenant and I've done something I haven't done for ages, which is notes <laughs> and a PowerPoint. <laughs> so I'm going back, but um, I'm going to be pretty much, I think, here's, here's, here's the intent to stick right about here um, and to clearly even read at times what I've written because that doesn't say contract. It doesn't say a pre, what is it, a pre, pre-nip, pre-nup? Pre-nip, pre-nup. <laughs> it says covenant. And the new covenant that God established with us, come on, come back, <laughs> is not a contract, it's a covenant. And we need to understand the marriage covenant. And this is a two-part uh, message. So I'm going to talk about covenant and then next Sunday night, because um, James uh, can't be with us, they've got to go back. I'm going to talk about our role in the covenant. So tonight you're going to hear about God's role in the covenant and what a covenant is and his covenant with us. And then next week it's going to be, so relationships are two-part. What's our responsibility in the covenant? It's massive. And as I've been preparing this, some of the things I want to share really, I reckon, are jaw-dropping things. You know, I'm going to talk about the, the mark of the covenant, which is uh, what David and Jonathan did, and they marked their hands. And you think, where was the covenant on Jesus' hand? Where was the covenant on his hand? There's so many cool typologies you're going to hear tonight between the covenant that Jonathan and David made with one another. God is the God of covenant. There's the Abrahamic Abrahamic covenant. There's the Mosaic covenant. There was a covenant God made with Noah. What was that? Yeah. And so this is, we can take what God says as true. And covenant isn't to be broken. See, if we really understood covenant and the commitment we make through covenant when we physically get married... And if you could see the marriage covenant that the church is to have with Christ, it's the motivation to work out your human covenant where you go, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not giving anyone a hard time about divorce, but divorce isn't an option. Why? 
because we see the marriage covenant and the life of the marriage covenant creates life here. So we are going to work through with the Spirit our differences. This is about becoming one, never not being one. And so we need to understand covenant. You know, we talk about, oh, yeah, the marriage, the marriage, it's all called the marriage. But it's a very serious covenant commitment. And so we're going to look at some of these things. Um, and I'm going to start in Revelation. And so I am speaking from Ephesians. I'm just not going to say I'm speaking from Ephesians. I'm speaking from Revelation, but how we know it's one book. And this theme of marriage covenant is at the end, the beginning, and the middle, and every part through. And so let's go to Revelation 1, 1 to 3. And there's some key things in here that I really want us to pick up on around how we come into this knowledge. Because it's not, as we've been talking about, I talked about this morning, it's not through our intellectual ability to understand Hebrew and Greek. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But that's not how we're going to learn and get a revelation. And so I've chosen revelation because of its name. Revelation. We need revelation. And you cannot give yourself revelation. But I do know one who can and who does. And so it says here in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. That's a capital H. It's not a little H. So God gave him, God, Jesus, to show, or an angel, to his bond servant. God gave. Do you know God needs to give us revelation? God needs to give us insight. It's God that opens up our minds. It's God that opens up the heart of man. It's God. So God gave him to show, show. Let me show you. Are we seeing what is in the words? Are we seeing the pictures? What do you mean, Greg? It's not a book of pictures. It's a book of words. No, are you seeing the images? Do you have vision to see what's here? Because God is showing. You see the pursuit that's required, eh? Where it just can't be Sunday night, Sunday morning after, taking some notes, going away, life continues. There is an absolute pursuit of what you're hearing, which will bring you into life, which you, when you see it, it's like life can never be the same. It can't. What does he sing? Love changes everything. Well, God is love. So if he shows you himself, life can never be the same. So God showed, showed his bondservants the things which must soon take place. There are things that are happening. There are things that are coming. And he sent. So God sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant John. So who's communicating with who? The angel, that's the spirit realm, is, has been sent to communicate what Jesus wants to be revealed. 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything is contained in Christ. Everything's have come from him, through him, in him. That's why he says, on the revelation of myself, I build my church. So yes, he may look like a person when he was here, but what's contained in God must be shown. This covenant, this marriage covenant must be revealed. And it's the Holy Spirit's role to reveal it in you and to you. So by his angel to his bond servant John, who testified. So John gives testimony to the word of God. He's about to write. He's testifying to what the Spirit is showing him, what the God is giving the Spirit to show. See the link? God gives it to the angel. The angel communes it, gives it to John. John then gives testimony. John is lost without God and the Spirit. He can't communicate anything. But because he's getting revelation, he's now able to communicate the word which comes from the word because the word gave him the word. He didn't study it. He was given it. It's a whole different way of being. Sounds like the kingdom of God. So testified to the word and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. What do you see? What are you seeing? Do you see in the unseen realm? Here's a challenge, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 says, we don't look at what's seen. We look in the unseen. That's where we're looking at, the things that no one else can see. And that's where we're drawing our word from, our food from, our life source from. It's not what's seen. This is temporal. It's seen in an unseen. Oh, I see the bride of Christ in the unseen. Have you seen it yet? Great. See, it takes spiritual sight, spiritual ears to receive this living manna from above. This isn't natural stuff. So once again, it's something that only God can show you. As you ask, seek, and knock, and you knock on heaven's door 24-7, it becomes a lifestyle of seeking. It's not a one-off event. It's a lifestyle of continuous. God wants to unpack and show the church all that he has for her, for the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, are good. No heart has seen, ear has heard, no eye has seen, it entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. People who love him seek him. If you taste, if you get a good thing, that you want more of it? Krispy Kremes. <laughs> Amanda wore her T-shirt today. <laughs> Should have put it on there. Via Krispy Kremes. <laughs> but you have something, you taste something, you want more of it, you want more of it, and all of a sudden you find yourself not having to, you want to. And see, this is what's happening to John. And the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the angel realm, the angelic realm is showing him things. Then he says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. So prophecy is what is in God that's yet to be revealed. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Everything Jesus has already accomplished, because everything's furnished, is the spirit in which one prophesies. I speak to you about what already is in Christ. Can you hear it? 
not audibly in your natural, can you hear it and receive it into your innermost being? All of a sudden you're like, what's that? Your mind might not have caught up yet and renewed it to your mind, so you don't have understanding, but you've received a substance called the Word into you, which now has given you life. This is what was happening to me nine years ago. He was revealing the word in me. And if you'd asked me what it was, I said, I couldn't tell you. It's amazing, but I can't tell you what it is. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. My mind hasn't caught up with what's happening in my spirit. The spirit hasn't renewed my mind to see what it is, but it's feeding me. It's creating life. I'm able to do things I couldn't do before. I'm loving in a way I didn't love before. I've got more rest, more passion, more life, more peace. But I don't know what the substance is. It's like never going to Krispy Kremes. I don't know why I'm using this. I love them. They're beautiful. Okay? But it's like you have no idea what a donut is. But you go there and you eat them. And you taste them and they go, man, it's beautiful. And someone says, what is it? I said, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Oh, oh, that's a donut. Oh, is that what you call it? Because now someone else is helping you or you get sight on what it is. But you can eat it and eat it and you don't know. It's called hearing without yet understanding. It's beautiful. Luke 24 is a beautiful passage of what's happening. Weren't our hearts burning on the road when Jesus was sharing about himself from the Scriptures? They didn't have a clue who he was until they opened, he opened their eyes, but they were on fire because what he was saying, they were hearing it and going, well, I don't know what it is. I don't know who this guy is. Did they? They didn't know who he was, but they are receiving living manna in them. And then he breaks the bread and opens, and it is Jesus. This is a beautiful process. It says then he had to open up their minds to understand the scriptures. Oh, no, I can do it. Oh, really? So Jesus says, I opened up your minds, and you tell Jesus, no, it's all right, I don't need your hand. So in this whole area of covenant and the marriage covenant, which the entire scriptures are based the context around, do you understand that? Do you understand that the context for the scriptures is a marriage covenant? So if we don't grasp that, we're going to make it about the lost, individual prophecy. We'll make it about everything that are in God, but it's not the main priority. So when you understand that the whole entire word is based in a marriage covenant, everything starts to shift. When you read scriptures like, if you love someone else more than me, in the light of the marriage covenant, it's like, uh-oh. So I'm in a marriage covenant with you, but I love this person more. What sort of Obedience, faithfulness is that to the covenant you've entered into. Now, if I've got a list of 10 things, what does that covenant look like? Danny, do you mind if we have 10 other females in our bed? Oh, sure. That's an interesting covenant between two that are becoming one, isn't it? But that's what we do. 
and we have no concept because we only think naturally. But spiritually, we've got all these other idols in our lives. We've got these high places that are in our hearts that we don't remove and we justify them away. And God's going, I've given you my word. If you can hear what I'm truly saying here, it would grab you. My love is covering you while you're in the state of idolatry, but I'm hoping your eyes and your ears are going to pop and then you're going to understand that you were made for a covenant with me to be faithful and obedient to me for I am to you I will never leave you I will never forsake you I will be with you to the end of the age it's a marriage covenant between Christ and his people guys we're a covenantal people so we have to grasp what it means to be in covenant. I think too many followers are too casual. God loves me. He understands. He says, yeah, he does love you. And he does understand. But he wants to build you. And he wants to change you. And he wants you to discover who you were created to be before the foundations of the earth. So here's a couple. No, I need to keep reading. <laughs> Trying to stick to it. See, I can't do this thing. <laughs> Blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Do we see what is written in the book of Revelation? Do we see what's written in the book of Ephesians? Do we see what's written in the book of Genesis? Do we see what's in Exodus? Do we see as God is saying? Hear first, speak later. What's the great mystery in the book of Ephesians? Say that. The bride of Christ. What's discovered at the back of the book in Revelation? The bride of Christ. What's discovered in the front of the book of Genesis? The two will become one. The marriage covenant. No, you're right. See how it's throughout the entire book. The entire context is a marriage covenant between God and his people. Isaiah said, I declare the end from the beginning. So let me tell you what's at the end, a marriage covenant. Then I'll take you back to the beginning, a marriage covenant. And so when you start in the middle, because none of you start at the beginning, you actually start in the middle as sinners. Let me tell you about another scripture. Before you were born, by the way, you were chosen to be holy and blameless as my people adopted into my family because I'm going to marry my people. And so I set this thing called a marriage covenant in a physical sense at the start so you can see the spiritual typology. And by the way, in Philippians 1.6, I'm going to perfect the work that I started. So I'm going to bring you into, if you allow me, through my power because you're going to hear my word, the very thing you are at the end and the beginning. We're discovering actually who we are. There's an identity crisis in the church because she doesn't have ears to hear who she actually is that the scriptures declare. So the word of God says this, and we go, you know, I don't believe that, or I don't think that, or I don't see myself like that. See, see, think, believe, and yet we are. 
from his perspective. And it's the same thing for the covenant because he's telling you, I'm going to love you forever. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm the one that will love you into this life. If you can hear, hear, what does he say? Hear the words of the prophecy. Hear the words of what is finished in me, but is yet to be finished in you. It's where? It's in the unseen realm. It's completed over here. And you need ears to hear and eyes to see what already is done. Do you see yourself as a son? No, you don't understand. You don't understand what I was up to last night. Yeah, he was watching and he sees it and he understands. He says, you're a son. (laughs) That's a crazy love, isn't it? I'm just going to go to one ten, one ten. So Revelation one ten. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet. Interesting. I was in the spirit. What does that mean? Ask the Holy Spirit what that means. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a sound of a trumpet, saying. Hearing again, hearing, be quick to hear and be slow to speak. We're so quick to speak and slow to hear. Hearing first, speaking is always second. And then you only ever speak what you hear. Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches. Write in a book what you see. What I'm about to show you in the Spirit, write it in a book and send it to the church. Well, we've got a book and it's been sent to us. So are we hearing and seeing what John heard and saw through the words? Because the Spirit is going to illuminate and reveal, like I looked at this morning, what is contained in here for us, which, as I said, will radically alter all of our lives. That's what God said to me. Write what I've shown you in a book and give it to the church. Bird's eye view. The entire context of the scriptures is anchored and centered in a marriage covenant between God and his people. If we don't have the revelation of this truth, we will create our own context for the scriptures. We'll make it about the loss, gifts, healing, signs, wonders, ministry. When the context for the scriptures is a marriage covenant. I'm just going to give you definitions of covenant. Okay, so here are some of the definitions of covenant. A covenant is a solemn and binding commitment between two or more parties. And this is what we'll look at next week because we're actually in covenant with one another as well. A covenant is a pledge of total loyalty. In covenant, you are permanently identifying yourself with another person or people. Identifying yourself permanently with another person or people. Covenant is a commitment that goes beyond any other commitment. It is more sacred than life itself. 
When you make covenant, you are literally giving your life to your covenant partner and pledging to put their needs above your own. Covenant is an endless partnership. It cannot be broken under penalty of death. This is pretty powerful, strong stuff, isn't it? And the point is God is a God of covenant with his people. So Romans 9, 3 to 5. For I wish that I myself were accursed. This is Paul. This man was so in love. He'd received love. You have to receive love to write like this and live like this. For I, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. We have been grafted in to this people group. The covenants and the glory belong to the Israelites. Jesus said, I've come for the lost tribe of Israel. And the Gentiles are going to be grafted into the olive branch. We're going to be grafted into who? Christ. Because Christ is going to take this two and make it one. So God's clearly telling us right here. And Paul is saying, man, I wish I could actually give over my life, my individual life for my fellow Israelites. This is how much love is pumping in my heart. The love of the Father that he's put in my heart. For my fellow Israelites that have no clue that they were to be the people of covenant and to live out this new covenant with Christ. And yet they, what do they do? They rejected Christ. And the glory, there's that word again, Christ in us, the hope of Glory. So Christ in us is the glory. You want to have glory in you? Well, you have it in you. Jesus said, I give you my disciples my glory. But it's this light. It's this radiance because Christ is the glory of God. I think this is phenomenal promise of covenant that's given to the people of God, which is us. Let's go to Hebrews 8, verse 7. Hebrews is a cool book. Hebrews 8 verse 7. A new covenant, a better ministry. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. I did not, I, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. See how many words, times covenants used? After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. 
And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. So he makes this covenant with us, this new covenant, this marriage covenant. He's reestablishing what already was from the beginning of time. It was always in his heart for his people. And we are his people. We say, oh, the Jews are the chosen ones. Well, yeah, and so are we. Chosen to be grafted in before the foundations of the earth, to be a people who are one in covenant with their God. We just happen to be born at a different time. But doesn't make the promise void, does it? So let's go to 1 Samuel 18 and have a look at Jonathan and David. Because this is a phenomenal picture of covenant. It's 1 Samuel 18. 1 to 4. And we're going to pull out five things. Good hearing the rustling of the papers. <laughs> now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul <clears throat> that the son. <laughs> you have to get a little app that goes, you know, when you roll the page. <laughs> now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as himself. Saul took him that day and did not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. You can hear the commandment through here, eh? Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. The first aspect of covenant is counting the cost. 1 Samuel 8, 13 to, sorry, 3 to 4. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan is giving up his royal position, and also his relationship with his physical father. This is going to get him in trouble. Has it got you in trouble yet? When you live to a higher standard that your physical family don't understand, and you make choices that they don't understand, but you make them, why? Because you're in covenant with the one who created you. They don't have an understanding, and they can be Christian and non-Christian. And you're prioritizing things and you're prepared to count the cost for the one who counted the cost for you. And a whole lot of other people have no concept what you're doing and they persecute you. Interesting, isn't it? And David is, sorry, Jonathan is counting the cost like Jesus counted the cost. He's losing, but he's gaining. There is no loss. In Christ, 
There is only gain. Loss is a myth that needs to be overcome. Loss is a fear that looks real but doesn't exist. So the first aspect is counting the cost. Are we prepared to count the cost for the one who has counted the cost? The second aspect of covenant is the covenant exchanges. 1 Samuel 18 verse 4. Covenant exchanges. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Three things that Jonathan exchanged with David are massively significant. First thing is his robe. His robe is a robe identified himself as a prince of Israel. What robe or garment is he getting back from David? No, but from David. What would a David robe be? What was David? A shepherd. A smelly, stinking shepherd's robe. And David gets a royal garment. And he's exchanging. This is an identity shift with the robe, isn't it? What does Jesus say? I'm going to give you my robe of righteousness, and you're going to give me your filthy rags. What a great deal <laughs> for you. And me. See, there's an exchange of robes as Jesus exchanges his robes with us and took our sin upon himself to give us the robe of righteousness, which, as we've looked at before, is the first robe of two. There is a robe of righteous acts that we need to receive as well through doing the will of God. That is the bridal garment. Hey, Rodney. <laughs> Rodney's looking at that at the moment. It's cool. So there's a first exchange is the robe. David's robe identified him as a shepherd, a commoner. But Jonathan's robe identified him as a prince of Israel. Jesus exchanged robes with us. Second exchange, his belt. And the belt is a symbol of strength. So once again, David would have had a belt a tattered, worn-out belt. And the prince gives him his belt, which is a sign of strength. Does this sound funny? Jesus wants to give us his strength as we relinquish ours. It's my message this morning. You're going to come through weakness so you can be strong. Are we serving Christ with the strength that Christ provides? So once again, here's the exchange between David and Jonathan, between Christ and us. I'm going to take from you your life, what you think is strong, and I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my power. But you must relinquish your strength. Third exchange, his weapons. Jonathan gave David his princely sword and received David's shepherd's sling. This is interesting, isn't it? The exchange symbolizes an exchange of enemies. Your enemies are now my enemies. In other words, I will stand with you and enter into the battle and fight with you, beside you, till death. Jesus gives us his sword, his 
word. What for? To enter into the battle with him. Now, the victory has been won by him, but there is still a battle, isn't there? In the flesh, sorry, in the spiritual realm. Our battle is not with flesh and blood, but is with the principalities, which means we need to know the word if we're going to actually have victory that has been won. Because when the enemy comes and he spills you a whole lot of lies and he speaks to you, God speaks, the enemy speaks. What voice are you hearing? See, can you hear the word so you have the armor on and you have your sword? You're like, what? Or you found swordless, powerless. Because he's going to speak and he'll take the word, the enemy, and he'll speak the word out of context. And if you don't know the context, if you can't hear the word, you'll believe that word. Because you might go, well, yeah, that's in the Bible too. Yeah, but it's completely not the word in that moment for that situation. And he's hoodwinked you. So there's this exchange where this, this uh, sword is given over. David gives him the sling. But Jesus gives us his living word. Is that clear? Okay, so the third aspect of covenant is cutting covenant. Now, through the translation, this is what I discovered, we use the word make a covenant. But the Hebrew, the real word is cut covenant, cutting a covenant. God told Abraham to cut an animal, didn't he? In half. So it's to cut a covenant, not to make it. It's cutting, and there's a blood that is spilt. Covenant is a blood business. It means a lot. And blood was spilt for us, was it not? So Jesus cut covenant. Jonathan and David would have taken an animal, just like God taught Abraham to do, and cut the animal into pieces as the sign of their blood covenant with one another. To not Listen to this. To not keep the covenant would be to say, may it be done to me, is it has been done to the animal. So to break that covenant you're making, you are saying, may it be done to me as it's done to the animal. How serious is that? Can you understand the grace of God? <laughs> his mercy and his grace and his love that is being poured out that we would comprehend what he's done and that we would leave our lives immediately and come and follow. I'm going to leave my fishing nets. I'm going to leave my father. I'm going to leave my income, and I'm going to follow the one of covenant. And he's going to provide an income, and he's going to provide the things. Hear what I'm saying? A lot of this is leaving in your heart. It says to leave your mother and father. It's not just leaving them. It's leaving the whole physical reality and entering into a spiritual one. It's leaving all things for the one of covenant. And he's cut a covenant with us in the form of himself. And he gave himself and blood was spilt that day that we can be reconnected back to what was in God's heart from the start. The fourth aspect of covenant, this is called, is the covenant sign. The covenant 
sign. Now, what they would have done and what they did is they would cut their hands, their palm of their hands, and they would get ash and rub ash into the cut so it would heal. So when it heals on the scar, you see the covenant sign. So if I was in covenant with Chris, we would both have this mark on our hands. And when we would come up together, we would actually show our covenant signs and we would touch hands of the covenant we've made. It's also a sign to any enemies we have. If Chris was coming in a battle against someone and I wasn't there, he would lift up his hand and they would see, oh, we're not just taking on Chris. There's someone else that's in covenant with him that we're also taking on now in this battle. So we better be aware of this. Someone's coming looking. If Chris is killed, someone's coming looking for us. And he might be bigger than us. Now, where was the covenant? Where was the sign that Christ had with us in his hands. Also on his side, when the spear went in, but because when he came back, Thomas said, touch your hands, touch your sign, but in his hands. Do you know the only man-made thing in heaven is the scars in his hands as a reminder of covenant, and man made it. I'm in covenant with man. Even though man did that, it was always going to happen and I was always going to give my blood that I would be covenant and it's a reminder to him. It's in his hand the whole time. How cool is that? And so when they made a covenant, they'd make a cut. It would be a a cutting, not a making, a cutting and then a joining. And so it was like, I've got that man's life. He's got my life and we don't break it. It sounds like that we'd all become one. It sounds like that we'd be disciples being made into disciples. Go out and make disciples of disciples of disciples of disciples. Go and be one people. Lay your lives down for one another. The covenant, John 3, 16, for Christ, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. What's 1 John 3, 16? There's one side of the covenant. What's 1 John 3, 16? Who wants to quickly look and read it? Yell it out. So there's your covenant with one another. Isn't it interesting? John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. Nothing's an accident, eh? So the mark on his hands are the only made man thing in heaven. Our covenant sign involves a cutting. And the last aspect of the covenant, this is cool is a covenant meal. In the Hebrew culture, the cutting of covenant concluded with a simple meal of what? Bread and wine. Yep, bread and wine. Oh, Luke twenty-two fourteen to 20. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body 
which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Covenant. I'm cutting a covenant. And in the same way, he took the cup they, after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's beautiful. The apostles knew exactly what he was saying because they understood covenant. We don't. How many of you before that thought really, you know, the death of Christ was just about covering my sin? Because that's all the church really teaches. Communion is just about the gift of life for my sin and the power of sin. That's an aspect of it, but it's not the whole thing. It's also about the wedding between Christ and his church. They understood this because they were people of covenant. See, we're trying to come into a Hebraic mindset to understand the ways of the Israelites. But we focus from a lot of from a Greek mindset, a Greek position. And so we don't understand the um, the typologies and, and, and the physical aspects of this thing. So we never really enter into the fullness of this relationship. God said to Paul, preach the whole purpose of God, not just that much. And we're all about that much. Why? Because we can't hear. And we haven't yet seen all the things that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into. This is, I believe, one of the most important messages you can get is that when you receive Christ, you and I entered into a covenant and a covenant where he would not share his glory with another. And his love is covering in the hope that you'll get to know, and I'm talking about me, that we would get to know his love and leave our old lives behind, our old lovers, and have him at the true centerpiece of our heart then we would turn around and then with the love that we're now in, Christ's love, we're able to love those people that maybe were once our idols. But because the love has been redefined and it's his love in you and there is no favorites with that love, you love one another as Christ loved you because the intimacy of the covenant that you've discovered and the life you're in enables it. It's got nothing to do with your ability and everything to do with him in you. So the five aspects, and this is the end. Jesus is our covenant partner. Number one, he counted the cost. Number two, he made a covenant exchange. Number three, he provided the covenant sacrifice. He was it. Number four, he bears in his body the covenant sign. And number five, he invites us to reaffirm covenant at a covenant meal. So that's something to think about and something to dialogue about with the questions that we'll enter into now. And next week, I'm going to look at our response and we'll look at some of the scriptures that hopefully will just bring to light our part of this commitment and the responsibility that he is looking for, for us to carry, but also to live out. Because I think for too long, we've only preached Jesus loves us. And Jesus says, you know what? I do, but do you love me? Do you love me like I love you? And do you love one another as I love you? And it's fully possible when you're growing in me.
and maturing. Isn't that cool?